Uh, can I say it is a, a huge joy and a great honour uh, for me to be back in Fitzroy to share this uh, 200th anniversary with you. I was telling uh, Steve and Jonathan what Fitzroy has meant to me over the years. And it has not only been my family, it has also been the place where I have learned most about faith. I've grown here through your faith. Some people read novels. I've had the privilege of reading many lives. And I'm hopefully a wiser man. I hope I'm more focused. And I certainly have grown in my faith and in my knowledge of God. I'm really sorry Val's not here this morning because when she's not around, I feel as if there's only half of me here. Uh, Jenny is coming in from New York and Val has gone to pick her up from the airport. So that's why she's not here, but she sends her best wishes. Uh, You've been thinking about these wonderful words of Christ from St. John chapter 14 where he says, I am the way. The way we are called to walk. He also says, I am the truth, the Everest that we are asked to glimpse and begin at least to try and climb. But he also says, I am the life. And I love that word because life is about energy, it's about drive, it's about movement. He also says in John chapter 10, He says, I have come that you may have fullness of life. Fullness of life. Now, that's very interesting. Because it immediately posits for us the possibility that there's more about my life and where I am at the moment than I have discovered. There is another level and perhaps another level and perhaps another level to which he, uh, he comes to take us. So if you're settled at the basement, or if you're settled at floor one, you're going to miss the views from the top of the Empire State Building. It is people who aspire, who get in the lift, who press the button for the top, who want a fuller life, a fuller view. It is those people who find the greatest happiness in life, not those who are content to sit in the chair outside the lift parked at floor one. I was brought up in a tradition that was very formative for me. But one of the things when I was in my early days introduced to the gospel of Christ, it was about Jesus gives you satisfaction. Now, when I was a restless 16-year-old with testosterone flying around my body all over the place, satisfaction meant a lot. doesn't mean as much now. I was promised joy, 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 joy deep in my heart. And I'll tell you, I have a lot of agitation in my heart. A lot of unfulfilled dreams. A lot of restlessness. All of the things that you find among people who have lived their faith and who are honest about what their life is really like. As I looked at the gospel, I realized that Jesus didn't say, you know, you will have joy and abundance. He offers us a life which leads to fullness. He he never promised us uh, satisfaction, whatever that meant. He promised that we would be children of the kingdom. And that meant a life of activity and service. And I have found something very simple in my life, and it is this. That if you give, you will be among the most happy people in the world. If you make yourself the center, if you shrink yourself down, 
If your only focus is I, me, and myself, that unholy trinity that is self-focused, self-obsessed, self-interested, self-absorbed, it's all about me and my little bubble of concern. If that is the bubble you live in, you die. You never find happiness. It is only in a life that is really about following Christ that we find fullness. And it's all about what you give. The happiest people in the world are the most generous, not the most mean. The happiest people in the world are those who put a sparkle into the eyes of someone who looks depressed. Who give an arm to somebody who has difficulty walking. Who gives hope to somebody who's up high on a road near a mountain thinking, if I just accelerate it, I could end it all. Now, who hasn't been there? It is the real joy that Christ gives, which comes as a byproduct of following a certain path, believing a certain truth, and imitating a certain life. And as Philip read for us from the first chapter of St. John's Gospel, it says, The Word was the source of life. And this life brought light to mankind. The light still shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never put it out. I want for a few moments, and I always say that when I never ever live up to it, so I apologize. I realize that the worst thing I did this morning was put my watch in my pocket. I said, everybody in Fitzroy knows what that means. (laughs) Oh, I'm really sorry about that. (laughs) There's some things I never managed to master in Fitzroy. But I want to share with you what it means to live life in its fullness or to aspire to live life in its fullness as Christ promised. And I begin with just two weeks ago, I was on the island of Lanzarote doing a tour. And it's a most depressing island. It's, It's very volcanic, very dark, very little grows there. There's no water. Everything is dry and arid. And on that island, there was a man uh, called Cesar Manrique who was a young, grew up there in that poverty and 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 uh, and desolation, and he had a real gift in that. He 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 went on to become a great architect, made a fortune, lived in New York, became very very wealthy, very very famous. But he felt always he had a tug back home, and that tug was to come back to Lanzarote and in a situation of desolation to use the gifts that God had given him in order to help transform that part of the world. And he did. He came back as an older man, and he invested a fortune in helping Lanzarote develop and grow into the island that it is today. I visited uh, his house built on top of volcanic rock, but underneath were caves, which many people would have thought they're not particularly important. But as an architect, he noticed that the caves were able to be open to the light, and he turned them into rooms where they were really cool, where there were trees growing out of the ground, up through a hole in, in, in the rock, and searching for the sunlight. As I was coming out, this man who is now revered on the island, having done so much for it, someone had written a poem, it was in Spanish, and I tried to translate it, but it went, the last line was this, it was a tribute to him, and it said something like, Inhabita. El fuego que le inhabita. 
He inhabited the fire that inhabited him. Very interesting thing to say. First of all, it acknowledges that there was a fire within him, but all that he became and all that he did was about him inhabiting the fire that was in him. And from that flowed so much change and so much creativity. When in my late teens my faith began to waken up or kick in or however you want to put it or become real, when I started to lift the Gospels for the first time, really, I had been taught the Gospels well, but I began to lift them and read them for myself. The thing that struck me about the life of Christ, we're thinking about Christ the life, was this, that Christ lived a passionate life. As I read through the Gospels, the thing that attracted me to Jesus was the fact that he had this, he was inhabited with a, a divine fire which he inhabited, and that divine fire was divine love. If you want to understand who Jesus is and all the teaching that is given, all his sayings, all his miracles, his death for us, his resurrection, his ascension, his pouring out of the Spirit, if you try and stand back and say, what is going on in the life of Jesus? What you see is a fire. What you see is a passion. What you see is a passion of divine love coming upon him and him choosing to live in it rather than live somewhere else. This is most beautifully expressed in the story of his baptism where Jesus comes to the River Jordan and he is baptized by John. And we are told that when he came up out of the water, it says, first of all, the heavens were opened. The heavens were opened. There was no barrier between himself and God. The heavens were opened, the clouds were parted, the sun was shining, and we're told that the Spirit of God came upon him as a dove and rested on him. And then he heard the divine voice, because the divine voice and the divine vision are inseparable from the divine spirit. They all go together. People who are open to the spirit hear inner promptings. There's the external word of the scriptures. There's the internal word from God who will tell you, prompt you, nudge you in a certain direction to do certain things. They always go together. And you will also see things. The heavens will be open for you. You will see the possibilities that life holds for you. And indeed for our, for our world and for our country. But the Spirit came upon Jesus. And from there on, every day, Jesus chose to live in the fire of the Spirit. The fire of divine love. And like all great relationships, that lay at the center of Jesus. The, all, our human relationships can mirror the divine relationship. Most of us want to choose relationships of love and closeness. Most of us want relationships where there's give and take. Most of us want to be in close relationships where there is a real tenderness and love and openness to each other. And that is also about faith. You, we are called to have a faith where there is real closeness to God, such as we see in the life of Jesus. But we can also settle for a formal relationship, especially as the years go by. We can settle for a certain amount of closeness, but we begin to settle for formality. We live under the same roof, but not necessarily in the same world. 
The embraces become fewer, the kisses fewer, the compliments fewer. But we have a formal relationship. But we know it's formal. It's not really alive anymore. And that's the second option also in faith. We can have a very formal relationship to God where we like the church, we like the songs, we like the friendships, we like the, uh, the laughter and humor of being in a church family, but we settle for formality. The divine fire is not part of that, or it's going out. And, of course, the other feature is that we can, the other form of relationship, we can turn our back upon another person. We can decide to walk away from that person's life completely. And some of the saddest stories I've I've ever heard in my life were of people, a mother and a daughter, just one example, watching a husband with a suitcase walking down the path, and the last thing they saw was his back getting into the taxi. You can go that route. You can go that route in your faith. You can settle for that. But it's a long way from what lies at the heart of faith and lies at the heart of all healthy relationships, and that is the passion of divine love in us, which every day we choose to live in. And if there is something, as we look at the life of Christ, that I would encourage you to aspire to, it's this. Live a passionate life. Keep passion in all your relationships, but supremely in the relationship with God. Because God's love will inhabit you when you open yourself to it, but every day you have to inhabit the fire that inhabits you. And I hope Fitzroy never loses its passion for God or for people. But it's a choice. A choice which Jesus made every day, which we see burning brightly in the Gospels, and which we are called to choose every day also to live in. The second thing you notice about the life of Jesus, not only did he live a passionate life, but also we see in the Gospels that Jesus lives a very open life. A very, very open life. Faith is about openness. And in that openness, of course, you see in the Gospels, for example, in that wonderful story when he calls Peter and Andrew and James and John when they're by the Lake of Galilee, he says, follow me, and listen to these words, follow me and I will make you, I will make you. And as they follow him, the first place he takes them in order to make them or remake them, he takes them in among the crowds. We're told that he went everywhere preaching, everywhere teaching, and he went among the sick, the people who were desperate. And we're told that people who were suffering from all kinds of mental, emotional, spiritual, physical problems came to Jesus, and he took his time to be with each one. And we're told he laid his hands upon them, and he healed them. Jesus' life was very open every day. And it is the divine fire within us that opens us up rather than closes us down to that micro-concern world of ourselves. The place he brought them was out of where they were into where there was pain, suffering, alienation, despair, and brokenness. 
And Jesus lives a very, very open life. And every day, opportunities for him to be open come, come his way. Sometimes people got in the road of his plans. But he never turned them away. He always had this openness to people. And if you want to understand what salvation is about, it's about being opened up to people. It's about being transformed. It's about the divine love being transmitted from Jesus into me so that a fire enters me. And part of that fire is that it begins to burn. People that that I have met over the years don't sit with their back to the fire. Most people take a seat. If, If you light a fire now in your house, and it's getting more and more unusual, isn't it? Perhaps maybe Christmas. People like to gather and look at a fire. And as that fire warms us, it also opens us up to others. I can remember as a student, I went to Holland to study. And I had never been. I was a late starter. I was 22. Believe it or not, I had never been in a Catholic church up until I was 22. The course I was on and the students I was with were all preparing for ministry. And part of the invitation was, that came to me was, we invite you to come and talk with some Catholic and Reformed chaplains in the University of Amsterdam. And the Catholic chaplain says, we're having a student service tomorrow, and we invite you to come. I had never before been in the Catholic Church to 22. Isn't it astonishing how this country gets inside our heads and the way it controls us? But the invitation was given, and I decided to go, and I said to the rest of the students, I didn't tell them uh, my problem, but I decided to go to the service and sit away up in the gallery as far back as I could, thinking, I hope there are no Ulster Presbyterians here who will see me. I'm not yet ordained, Lord, and I would like to get ordained, so I hope I'm not reported to church house. The hair was going up in the back of my head. And as I sat up there and looked down, there was an orchestra, a choir of young people. It was a beautiful service. It was just after Vatican II. The priests were in polo next church. They served both bread and wine to the people. There were four readings from the scripture. And I had been told to expect a certain amount when I went into a Catholic church. It was supposed to be a dreadful experience. And to be very, very honest, it was a really beautiful, beautiful service and touched me deeply. I always reflect on the fact that I was sitting upstairs looking down my nose of what was going on below. And having been given an opportunity to be more open, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, this is not what I was told. I've still a lot to learn, but I'm going to be open. And that was for me the beginning of the change. The beginning of my openness. And when I went to Timor in 1970 with the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, a Catholic priest from Dundalk, out of the blue, came to meet Val and me. He was brought up in Dundalk, so was Val, and he became my best friend, our best friend. And it was in Timor, sitting around a meal with a Catholic priest whom I got a chance to probe and explore as in terms of his views and understanding. It was there that I realized, Lord, I have been programmed I have been indoctrinated. I have been, by growing up here, sectarianized. 
And do you know what I discovered? I discovered in my own self the features of sectarianism. First of all, small ears. I didn't know his story, and I didn't want to know. That's one of the things you notice about folk who are sectarian. We don't know the other community's story. We don't care about the other community's story. We are not interested in what they have been through, but I know my story, I know my tradition, I know my political and spiritual values, but I've got small ears. And the inability to listen to the other community in terms of friendship, which is the best way, was a feature of my sectarianization. The other thing I noticed about myself in my early 20s through that friendship in Timor was that I had a clenched jaw. You know what a clenched jaw is? It's very hard to pass a compliment. If you ask somebody in this country, what do you think of Catholic Church, Catholic people, Catholic community, etc., etc.? they will usually, nine out of ten times, start with something negative. And also, if it works on both sides, people will often say, when you hear the word Presbyterian as a Catholic, what do you think about it? And often it's negative. But this clenched jaw that cannot say that there are things about the Catholic Church, the Catholic community nationalist politics, republican politics, there are things that I admire. It's very hard to say what I admire. Listen to the political dialogue in Northern Ireland on the issue of the flags, and you'll meet many politicians with very clenched jaws. <laughs> they need to be referred to the accident and emergency ward in the Belfast, in the Royal Victoria Hospital. How you know someone who is like me, a recovering sectarian person, is that you always look for what is best. It's the fire of divine love. It's the fire of Christ within us, looking at other people with the eyes of Christ that can say, 80% of what I believe in as a Presbyterian is identical to what you'll find in the Catholic Church. The moral life to which we are called as Presbyterians is very, very similar to the moral life to which Catholics are called. And getting the ability to notice the positive, to express the positive, to affirm the positive, and then to be honest about all the things that we don't have in common. Sectarianism maximizes difference. That's why the jaw is cleansed. The divine love in Christ helps us to recognize and celebrate what we have in common. And it was in Timor through that friendship with the priest from Dundalk that it came into my head, Lord, one day, if I ever end back in Belfast, I would love to have a Catholic priest as one of my best friends. It's easy in Timor, Lord. The Presbyterian churches sent me, and they don't really know what I'm up to. 
But Lord, could I let this happen in Belfast? And then, Steve, I came to Belfast in 1976. And as I started to get to know the area, I discovered there was a Catholic priest down the bottom of Magdala Street, 50 meters from the side door of this church. And the Lord said, what are you going to do about that, Cam? If you believe in predestination, that's not a mistake. Why has the Lord put a priest 50 meters from the side door of the church that I've been called to? Does he know what he's doing, this divine chess player, with my life? Of course he knows. And I said, Lord, this is it. This is it. This is it. And I walked down, knocked his door, and Father Newbury came out, brought up in Hollywood. His father had been a member of the RUC. And for three years we became fast friends. And that's how Fitzroy started on his journey. And other, many other people came to share that journey with us. Well, one day I was down in, in Shaftesbury Square, and I was relaxing. And it was Monday, and I was going for a coffee and to get, read the sports page or something in the local newspaper, and I met one of our members. It was a sunny day. And she was a lovely, lovely woman, but as straight as an arrow, never missed. And she said to me, Reverend Yule. And I says, yes. And, it was Monday, you know. If it had been Tuesday, I could have stayed longer. But uh, I said, yes. And she said, we've gone off you. <laughs> we've gone off you. We know you go down to Father Newbury's house. What are you doing down there? <laughs> I said, well, I go about once a month. And we meet, we chat, we have coffee, we pray. I ask him about his work. He asked me about mine. And we pray for each other's congregations. Yeah, but why are you doing it? I said, do you want a long answer or a short answer? <laughs> she said, short answer. <laughs> I said, because Jesus told me to do it. I said, didn't he say, by this shall all men know you're my disciples? If you love each other. And love for me meant 50 meters. I said to her, didn't you think that's the sort of thing he wants us all to do? She looked up at the sky. She says, it's getting very overcast, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I realized that living like this in this country, for some people it's a problem. But for other people, it means inhabiting the divine fire that is within us. And like Jesus, seeking to live in a very open way with all people. The last thing I want to make, so I would encourage you to live an open life. Take the opportunities going to grow and expand in your heart. And in doing that, you follow the path of Christ's life. The third thing is, I, I love in the Gospels is this, that as I looked into the life of Jesus, the thing that amazed me was how he lived an inclusive lifestyle in a very, very divided community. Whether it was from women whom rabbis would not teach, or Gentiles that Jews kept at a distance, or Samaritans whom Jews demonized and tried to avoid, 
or whether it was people of a different lifestyle or different outlook within his own community. Jesus had this capacity to create around him a space into which he invited people to come. And that space you either create or it's not there. It is a space of grace. It is the choice to live an inclusive lifestyle. And in terms of Northern Northern Ireland, to become the change you want to see in your community. For example, with regard to your children. If you don't help to desectarianize them, someone will. Someone will resectarianize them. If you don't teach your children actively the values and teaching of Christ, someone else will colonize their mind with teaching that does not come from him and does not lead to the fullness of life that he has offered us. Jesus offered this wonderful gift of, of friendship without fences. And after Father Newbury met, uh, left this area, for about a year and a half, I, I felt very bereft. I said, Lord, I've opened my heart to you. And now I'm left alone, and I don't know how do you go reconstructing relationships that I want to be natural and, and easy. And I did a broadcast on Radio Ulster, Thought for the Day. And in the middle of a very difficult time, I was doing the Beatitudes each morning, and one of them was, Blessed are the peacemakers, for God will look at them and say, Yeah, they're my kids. And as I completed that, I went on home, and shortly afterwards I got a phone call from Clonard Monastery. It was an American who had come to Clonard to work among young people. He had left the U.S. Army and had come over to put something back into the community that uh, his family had once been in contact with. And I asked him, he said to me, could I get a copy of your scripts? I want to use them in a Bible study group that we have in Clonard with Father McCarthy. And I said, okay, I'll send them to you. To, and I said, what address do I use? So he says, just Clonard Monastery, Falls Road, Belfast. So I said, what is Father McCarthy doing? He said, he's setting up Bible studies all over Belfast where Protestant and Catholic can come together and study the message of Jesus, but with one condition. What you study, you put feet onto, shoes onto. Because faith is about your feet where you go, how you move, and how you live. And as a result of that, the Fitzroy Clonard group, eventually Father McCarthy died and Father Jerry Reynolds came. And I have since then had the wonderful joy of being in the company of many, many wonderful people in Clonard. And they have felt equally at home in Fitzroy. I've told many, many people since that Father Jerry and many of the folk in Clonard feel really at home in Fitzroy. And now people don't even notice. They just accept as though they're part of the family, which they are. And so I would encourage you to follow Christ in creating an an inclusive lifestyle for yourself. If all your friends are Protestants, think about it again. How inclusive is that? If all your friends have the same social standing as you, Think about it again. How inclusive is that? If you never go to anywhere where there are people who are different, either in terms of politics, gender, faith, nationality, race, culture, whatever, how inclusive is that? The time has come to choose an inclusive lifestyle, and in doing that, 
to leave yourself open to friendships which will develop as the years go by. And that's a choice. But when you inhabit the fire that Christ has placed in us, that is always a choice to create a space where people can come and share our lives. And so I ask you this morning, in your own personal life, is there a space of grace around you for people who are different from you? Thank God there is a space, a large space around Fitzroy, because I know there is terrific diversity in this congregation, and it's something I welcome with all my heart. I see it in Jesus' choice to live an inclusive lifestyle, and I commend it to you. Become the change you want the country to experience. Choose to live a passionate life, an open life, and an inclusive life. And in doing that, you will experience that surge of grace that Christ expressed in his life that brings us closer to that fullness of life which he promises to us. Inhabita el fuego, que le inhabita. He inhabited the fire that inhabited him. Continue to make that choice and watch what God does with your life. Amen.